0: Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs program. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Nicole Kirby. On this week's show, we speak with Kelly Jean Drinkwater, artist, filmmaker, and activist who works in radical body politics. She has a diverse portfolio in the creative fields, but most recently, Kelly Jean's been directing her energy towards an incredible dance production that has been on stages in Sydney and Melbourne. Nothing to Lose was produced by dance company Force Majeure, and it challenges assumptions around what a dancer's body is and should be, and what dancing moves should look like. Nothing to Lose has a cast of larger bodies moving in fluid, tactile, jiggling, strong and unexpected ways. And by putting these bodies on stage, the production not only entertains, but also opens up a conversation around radical body politics. Kelly-Jean Drinkwater joined me in the studio to have that conversation. I actually want to first begin the conversation by asking about language. What language is good to use when we're talking about this is... Is it okay to
1: say fat? Is that a term that you like or are comfortable with or not? Or Yeah, it's a really good place to start and, and quite often the place we do start when we talk about radical body politics because the word fat is a very powerful little word and it has a lot of impact and um, it has a lot of uh, you know impetus and, and attachment to it. So I refer to myself as a fat woman. Uh, I am unapologetically fat. I use the word freely and for me... Uh, my experience of that word is is has become neutral, so it 's just a descriptive of my body, like having hazel eyes and being five foot seven i 'm also fat i 'm a woman i 'm a white woman in terms of who can use that word I, I usually find that like any kind of descripting descriptive word of, of bodies that are marginalized or other, I also think that it 's a good idea to check in with a person, if you're going to refer to them in a certain way, regardless of what that word is. In terms of referring to you, I think you can, when you're referring to your own body, you can call your body whatever you like. It's your body. So some people were really uncomfortable with the word fat in referring to themselves. They don't like the word. They think it's negative. They think it's limiting and they don't use it. And I think that's totally valid because it's their experience of themselves. I would just say, yeah, if you're going to refer to somebody else, it would either check in with them about how they talk to their, uh, talk about their bodies and, and go off that or, or wait for their lead. So. And you describe yourself as a fat activist, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I sort of more, I've moved towards, uh, c- calling myself sort of a body love activist or a body liberation activist now. Um, just because I think my politics have become a little bit more kind of intersectional as I've gone along on this journey. And, um, you know, at first, when I first kind of discovered radical body politics and fat politics it was all about you know reclaiming the word fat and and putting it out there and taking up space as a fat person and fat 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 and that's what it was and I think now as I've kind of become sort of more uh, in tune with my my politics and also how that works across a lot of different intersections like class and race and able bodies and um, and gender and and all those kind of intersections it feels Limiting to just call myself a fat activist now, um, because I feel that for me, the baseline of my politics is there 's no, there's no r- wrong way to have a body, regardless of whether or not that body 's a fat body or enabled body or a body of color or anything like that. So yeah, I think my kind of politics have broadened to to try uh, and realize that it 's not an isolated issue, mm. yeah.
0: Mm. And, I mean, most recently you've been involved with this dance production that showed in Sydney and now Melbourne. Yes. uh, Called Nothing to Lose. Yeah. In dance, as in most aspects of uh, performance and pop culture, we rarely see big bodies on stage. But this production puts big bodies front and centre. Yeah. uh, And it challenges the audience to look at them and to really see them in all the kind of shapes that they can make and the ways that they can move. I'm wondering if uh, this performance was intended to be explicitly political or if it was going out there with different aims?
1: Yeah I mean it's an interesting one because I think the minute you know you put a fat body on stage it is inherently political because it's so often not done Um, or it's done in a way that's to be ridiculed or to be exploited or, or to be laughed at. So um, what was really interesting is working with Kate Champion, the creative director of Force Majeure and the director of this show, she was coming from a completely aesthetic perspective as a as a dance theatre maker and just really wanted to to explore the, the the sort of aesthetic possibilities of having a cast of undeniably fat bodies on stage. I also, from a creative point of view, real, um, was really, really interested in that. But I bring to the table my kind of... Um, my in politics and my, my radical body politics into that. So I think that we couldn't have made the show without each other and um, we both recognised that. Like she, she knew she couldn't make a show that talked about the authentic experience um, of living as a fat person in, in a Western culture without having someone to bounce off that had lived that does live that experience. And again, I think the way that Kate works and she's very collaborative and she's very, um, she finds inherent movement and she works with the core and the cast really, um, you know, collaboratively to, to, to draw out this kind of movement vocabulary that is very specific and unique to bigger bodies, which is so exciting because that's what I was really into when she came and talked to me because, um, I think that, the show wouldn't have had so much attention. It wouldn't be such a critical success and have such an impact on people. Had it been a bunch of fat body people trying to imitate a dance vocabulary that uh, we'd seen before on on smaller body people, that to me isn't something that I would be interested in doing. So I think that um it's interesting because Kate's perspective was not to be overtly political. Mine wasn't either, but I know that this is such impactful work and that the way that fat bodies are so contentious that just being an unapologetic fat person is a political act every day. Um, and I think that because we're making a show that investigates all of the nuances and all of the complexities around being in a bigger body, doesn't shy away from the uncomfortable things, um, I think that in makes it an inherent political work as well. So,
0: mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think that when fat bodies or, I guess, fatness is discussed in the public arena and even positive representations of them, it's often in terms of health or beauty or self-esteem. So mm-hmm. does this... Does a production like this allow that conversation to go in other places?
1: Yeah, I think for me, um, I was very, very eager to expand the conversation and, exp- and and deepen the conversation because, yeah, you're right, it's usually when you talk about fat bodies, it's usually exactly what you say. It's usually health, beauty and self-acceptance. Um, and although those are interesting and valid points to make in terms of size, there's also, um, you know... There's so much more to us as human beings than just a group of people that are, uh, are trying to attain these ideas of what health is or what beauty is. And, and, and I feel like. You know, there's a whole lot of uh, of intricacies to us as humans that uh, is rarely given a voice and rarely given a platform, and we really wanted to explore those in in the show because you know where uh, you know there's a core of seven dancers who have, all have vastly different relationships to their fat bodies, vastly different ideas around their body politics and what that means, and quite often I think that bigger people are are literally lumped together as having the one relationship to their body and usually that's one that's a negative one and that we're all desperately trying to be smaller than we are whereas you'll see in the show and, and when you meet the cast it, we're all incredibly different places with ourselves and and you know really uh, you know have investigated um, what it means to be in our bigger bodies in vastly different ways and I think that's one of the things I really love about the show is that it's not this kind of collective experience where it's a work about fat bodies and fat people made by Fat people, which is really unique and authentic.
0: Women on the Line.
1: What I really love about hearing feedback from the show is that the anticipation, people really didn't know what to expect, and people really weren't quite sure what they were about to sit down and watch. And I think um, there was a lot of talk around that and, and sort of expectation and anticipation around the show. And then a lot of people have talked to me about how it really moved them as a piece um, in in various different ways, and depending on the size of, of of what size they are, and also the relationship to their bodies. So, um, I feel like I have a lot more time. I've had a lot more time in Melbourne to connect with audiences after the show and talk to them about how they how it made them feel, and and I think the overwhelming response from Nothing to Lose has been this sense of Relief that this is happening, and that 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 people either saw themselves and related to things on stage that they hadn't seen before, or just were given the permission to sort of talk about this subject in a less judgmental space. And hopefully, that's what the show did—is it opens up the conversation in a way that you know takes you on this very kind of there's a definite emotional journey in the show. But I think you know with the, with the finale and and the end i think it kind of just allows people to talk and someone said to me the other day that, that you know that there's been a lot of foyer talk since at the uh, after the show which doesn't tend to happen so much in melbourne but people hang around and really are invest uh, really chatting through their sort of process around their own body politics which is all i could have ever wanted as mm. a maker yeah
0: Certainly, yeah, and that was certainly the experience when I had when I went to the theatre, that as a group we were all standing talking for a long time and a lot of other people were too. Yeah. But to play devil's advocate, yeah. I'm curious that um, it seems to me that the critical people who may or may not actually go and see the, the production would say that, you know, being overweight has ne- negative health repercussions and so to, I guess, celebrate... Um, bodies in this way shouldn't be encouraged. Do you have a, res- a response or a reply to that? Yeah, to um, that sort of
1: line. I mean, I think it's a really interesting. It's an interesting line because, I mean, since when is health? become a moral obligation to making art in any way i mean you don't tell people with disabilities that they can't be painters and you don't tell you know you don't tell people you, know, you don't tell musicians who are blind they can't play music because it's you know i don't know I, a, I don't see size as as a health issue per se um i think it's complicated i think the motivations around that um that the fact that people cannot separate health from size at all is uh, is its own radio show discussion in and of itself but i think it's a fascinating one that that you know we why regardless of whether or not our bodies are healthy what why are we f- why is it so hard for people to understand why we would want to make a work about that or a work about experience like a work about bodies who are, that aren't healthy like regardless i don't understand that um and i think that you know, what's really interesting about people that go there with that argument in regards to nothing to lose is here we have um, a group of larger people moving constantly throughout you know, working on a dance show, moving their bodies for an hour solid, doing two shows a day, doing encores, um, being incredibly physically active within their bigger bodies. So surely the people that are having an issue around, um, whether or not we have a right to, to, to perform in our bigger unhealthy bodies should see, if anything else, the health benefits of doing a dance show <laughs> with a bunch of bigger bodies. Do you know what I mean? I just don't understand. I find it a very strange, um, very, uh, narrowed, kind of stubborn view of of what the show could be, actually. Mm, yeah. Mm, absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, I guess
0: uh, coming back to what you were saying as well, there's that expression, you know, art mirrors life. And if art does mirror life, then surely we should be seeing a more diverse range of bodies on stage or represented as yeah. well because what we see is a very limited very narrow uh,
1: representation of what bodies should or could look like. Yeah, and what dancing bodies and moving bodies should or could look like. You know, I think you know, I've one of my favourite I mean, I have always loved dance since I was little. It's one of my favourite art forms and for you know, the longest time I was just like you know, what an incredible way to express feeling and emotion and and embodiment. I've been obsessed with embodiment and, and yeah, it just made so much sense to me that you know, dancing is such a prohibitive thing for a bigger body, even if it's socially on a dance floor. You know, you, you, I spent a long time getting over my dance shyness on, in a, at a party because of, of my size and, and feeling like I wasn't able to even move in a safe, friendly space. So I think the shame that that has, the shame that we're brought, that's brought on to us by society around, you know, embodying our size and our difference is so uh, intrinsically linked to how we hold ourselves as human beings and how we move through the world. That's something that I'm really fascinated with about how shaming bodies and um, and stigma uh, impacts how we literally move through the world. And, and I'm really interested in unpacking that. And so there's a bit of that in the show. But I I just think it's important that you know that we we are. And, and that's what I think this show is great is that we are given this platform on, in this very public, very mainstream way to, to take up the space that, that we are very rarely given the opportunity to do it and to move our bodies through that. And just mm-hmm. the fact that that's so controversial to me is so interesting as well. Cause really it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that this has taken such a long time to, to, to get a work like this on our stages, really, when you think about it, because, um, yeah, there's a lot of, Diversity in the dance world to some degree, but this, but size seems to be the last hurdle that people can get over when it comes to movement.
0: This is Women on the Line, produced in the studios of Three CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Nicole Kirby, and I'm speaking with Kelly Jean Drinkwater, artist filmmaker and activist who works in radical body politics. She's telling us about her recent experience as artistic associate on dance production Nothing to Lose. And do you want to tell us a little bit about your life as an activist and a performer? Because your repertoire is much more diverse in this one production, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I started, I went to art school and um, I sort of recognised really early on when I was really young that I couldn't, I wasn't finding images that represented myself uh, as a big fat woman. And I couldn't find them very readily, uh, you know, this is like 20 years ago now, um, and so I decided to start posing and, and modelling in my own work because I was the biggest woman that I knew. And, uh, you know, I'd seen sort of curvy women or curvy people in things, but, you know, I'm a size 26, so I'm a, a, a you know, a undeniably fat woman. Um, so I started to model for my own imagery and then, um, and then that kind of became, people would ask me to work with them as their sort of model and things like that. And then I would collaborate with artists, um, and then i ended up in uh london and i was sort of working with a lot of fashion um designers and and photographers as as their model and i would collaborate on sh- on sh- shows and shots for them and then i started getting into sort of plus size modeling and things like that so that was really interesting because it was um you know, there was a very, very – it was still very relatively new to have someone my size uh, as on the books as a model and doing catwalk and stuff. But it was very collaborative and it was very – it was with underground sort of, um, you know, queer designers and makers. So um, then I ran a club um, in London called Antisocial and that was a performance sort of – a club performance venue that was very wild and, um, you know, there was lots of um, – you know, crazy kind of DIY gender identity politics shows going on through that, and that was wonderful. Um, somewhere in all of that, I started making uh films and, and investigating, like, what it means to sort of have a that positive visibility through other ways of making imagery as well. So I've always had my hands in many different kind of fields, whether it be sort of in front of the camera or behind the camera, um or on stage and, and it's always been very collaborative um, and I'm really interested in creating communities that investigate um, helping to create communities that investigate sort of intersectional radical body politics so um, and to me that can be you know, that, that term is very broad deliberately. So because it is such an interesting field. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of sort of trans politics, gender politics, um, ability politics and, and things like that, that I find in the queer community that I'm heavily involved in in Sydney and, and internationally that, um, I find that really vital to my radical body politics is to be talking to people around their sort of experiences of having, you know, other bodies and things like that. So that's mm-hmm. where it sort of all comes from is this kind of, Wonderful playground of 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 people that um, are interested in pushing what it, it means to uh, what other bodied means and what um, you know to sort of push against this idea of, of the, that there's only one way to have a body. Um, mm. You know that's where it all sort of comes from.
0: Yeah, and on that, I'm going to introduce the F word. Do you think that this <laughs> kind of body politics is a feminist issue? You mean? I mean, you talked about the intersections with gender. As well, I'm interested to get your thoughts on where you think that's at.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny because there's that famous book that came out in the 70s called Fat is a Feminist Issue. And um, I I, funny because I was like, oh, I better read this book, you know, like a couple of weeks, not a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, I thought I better read that book. And it actually, I ended up reading about two chapters and throwing it out the window because it was actually like this sort of idea of the male gaze and where where women come from in order to try and control and and be smaller but it actually kind of is a diet book um it's hidden around all this feminist politics but it's actually like a diet book which is quite funny so i kind of just went oh that's not what i was expecting so that's my little thing on the book but um Mm -hmm. i mean absolutely fat is a feminist issue it is it in as much as it it's so fascinating how we, uh, as women, um, whether that be, uh, cis or trans women are impact, uh, 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 controlled relentlessly around this idea of what is a, what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable and how that feeds into ideas around taking up space, being, um, heard and seen and, 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 you know, owning ourselves and earning our rights to be in the world. I think it's, um, it's incredibly linked to body politics. And I know I spent a lot of time, I mean, coming out as fat and coming out as queer was, and as a queer fat femme was, was incredibly interlinked for me in my early twenties. And I, you know, realizing that I was a queer woman and I was a fat woman were one and the same and I couldn't separate them and I don't separate them now either. Um, And for me, that was very much about um, realizing that um you know i was completely disinterested in patriarchy and uh trying to uh, f- f- literally be squeezed into these kind of ideas of what w- of what women should be and how they should be in the world yeah for me the idea of taking up literal like literally physical space and and also kind of um airtime and and thought space and not apologizing for my size and not shrinking down and not trying to fit in um to to what women are supposed to do is it it feeds into all of my practice because I'm a multidisciplinary artist um so whether or not that's through you know making films and and the way that I approach that and documentary making um through performance through speaking publicly about this stuff I think it's important for me to um, recognize the, the power of, of, of giving myself permission to take up space, and I think that ties in very tightly with my feminist politics. So. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was Women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It strikes me that the the shift over time is seems to be relatively slow and that there is so much work still to be done on this issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, fat politics and fat, ac- fat academia have come along leaps and bounds since fat is a feminist issue and that in in terms of a theoretical study in an academic space, you know, the states in England have had a long history with investigating kind of fat politics and all of the... The, the intricacies of that I think that it's a study that has a, a very vital and um, uh, and very you know uh, a very interesting engagement in sort of Australasia through people like Jackie Wykes and um, Jenny Lee and people who are uh, academic Sam Murray here who are uh, really looking into the sort of impacts of Australian culture on fatness but overall I feel like as a culture, Australia's still catching up to sort of some of the basic ideas around body politics and fat politics that, that maybe the states in England haven't quite caught up with. Um, so that's why I think this work has been, is such a very radical thing to, to Australian audiences. I wonder if we do get an international tour. I'm, I'm very curious to see how the show performs and the feedback we get from these countries that have had... Um, a much more baseline awareness around the sort of 101 of fat politics. So it would be an interesting thing to see.
0: Mm, That is an interesting thing. And, I mean, in terms of geography too – it strikes me that the production has shown in the two major metropolitan centres in, you know, really for inner city crowds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder how different the reception would be if that was to go, if the production was to go to rural and remote yeah.
1: Australia. we're definitely keen on doing a regional tour. I think it would be really important. And I think one of the th- other things about the show that I love is that we cast um, the ensemble, which is the... Uh, so we have our seven core dancers and then we have an extra cast of an extra nine performers that we cast from the city that we perform in um, or the area that we perform in. And what that does is it opens up this whole uh, place of access for, for, for people of size who may not have thought of themselves as dancers before to come and audition for a major dance company like Force Majeure and be a part of Nothing to Lose. That to me is one of the most exciting parts of this process because, um, you know, we get to engage with local people, talk to them about their experiences um, and kind of, you know, create a community community. Wherever we play, which is really exciting. So I would love for that to continue on a regional level and see how that sort of, um, impacts the show and, and who auditions for the ensemble parts. So hopefully that will happen in the future. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And in a sense, I guess this is about carving out safe spaces as well.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, I think one of the most beautiful things that both Kate and I witnessed when we we had auditions for this was that you know the instant camaraderie and relief of being in a group and in an audition full of bigger bodied people and not just being the one fat dance or auditioning for something um the the, the yeah the, the the friendship and the sense of community and solidarity with each other in that space um auditioning was was just palpable and remarkable to witness and I think that if, if anything, if that's the, the sort of grassroots impact that the show can have in, in kind of connecting people who are, are investigating their own body politics in a certain city, that would be an extra special gift that the show can bring for me anyway.
0: Definitely. Thanks so much for joining us on Women on the line today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. thank you.
0: It's a pleasure.
2: I see you there, lying in the dark, hiding your
0: That was Kelly Jean Drinkwater. She's an activist, filmmaker and artist who works around radical body politics and recently she's been artistic associate on dance production Nothing to Lose. And finally, some spoken word from a local Melbourne-based artist, Lana Wolfe. This piece is called Leaf.
2: I wanted to be a leaf because, see, I feared being rooted to people and places. And, see, I was terrified of howling winds. I ran away from storms. It seemed pretty poetic to me. But now I know, I know that it takes strength being rooted in place during a cyclone and I know, I know that there is beauty in standing still as the wind changes my bending with the winds but never breaking in. Learning to love the rain as much as I love the sun in been able to weather winters and face storms. Now I know, I know that there is beauty in being whole.
0: Lana Wolf is a Melbourne-based spoken word artist and you can hear more of her spoken word at her website, LanaWolfspokenWord.com. Earlier on the show, you heard from Kelly-Jean Drinkwater, artistic associate with Nothing to Lose, a dance production that's been showing in Melbourne and Sydney. Kelly-Jean was talking to us about radical body politics and she's an activist, filmmaker and artist who works in that field. That's all for Women on the Line this week. Women on the Line is Community Radio's national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne, and it's broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to line at hotmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au, and you can also find us on Facebook. The music that you've heard on today's show is by Australian artist Nier. The theme music for Women on the Line is slideshow at Free University by La Tigre. I'm Nicole Kirby. I hope you can tune in again next time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.